Mark your books to number 865. 865 will be the invitation song. Somebody's already observed we won't have to fight any swarming mosquitoes today. So there's always a good side, right? I want to talk about opinions today, opinions as specifically as they relate to unity. I have several reasons that I chose this topic. Probably the primary one is a desperate need I have to manage these issues better. Probably not as self-aware in any way as I ought to be. But I recognize that the way I manage my opinion is not always the way God would have me do that. Secondly, our country's been torn apart. Basically, we have chaos. And I know it's not as simple as this, but I want to summarize it in this way. We're at a place where we have come to believe if you have a different opinion about something than I do, that you're stupid and you hate me. So I have to think you're stupid and hate you first. And we can't ever find a place of agreement and a way to be unified and folks if that mentality infects the church we're going to have the same chaos in the church that we have in our country right now and we've got to be very very cautious about that you know there's a lot of different things in this life that threatened our ability in this building, I'm talking about us, there's a lot of different things that affect our ability to be unified. And the devil's out there daily working to divide us. Not daily, constantly working to divide us. And we can be divided on economics. We can be divided by gender. Race, ethnicity, there's all kinds of things that the devil will use to divide us. And those are all things that we need to think about and give consideration to. But what I want to do today is think about how our opinions will divide us if we let the devil have his way. I want to talk about opinions in a broad general sense, but then there's very two specific areas where I think we have some different opinions that, that I want to look at. And my goal today is not to change your opinion about anything. I, I want you to remember that. I don't want to change your opinion about anything. What I want to do is to remind us how important it is to filter our opinions through Romans 14. If we will learn to consistently consider Romans 14 before we begin to express our opinion, we're going to have a whole lot more peace and a whole lot more unity. And we're going to get to Romans 14 momentarily, but I, I wanted to start with this illustration that Van used in a sermon I believe he preached in January of 2019. Uh, I hope you recall this. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but if we don't get this idea right, then we can't manage our opinions right. And the idea here, as Van preached this and he used this illustration, is we see that God has a will for our lives as His people. 
And it's the foundation of this building. It's the foundation of our Christian life. And we know what God's will is because he has given it to us. And we know he's given us everything that we need, right? So that's the foundation. But as we consider God's will for his life, he has told us that we have to rightly divide that will. And what that means is that when we look at Scripture, we have to understand the right way to apply that. And as he used this illustration, we have on this side God's legislative rules. He's been very specific. It's very black and white. God's legislated rules fit every culture during every time. They don't change. They are what they are, and they are what God intended for them to be. I'm going to use as an illustration the gospel. The gospel does not change. The gospel is what God said the gospel was. And the gospel needs to be preached in our country during this time, just as it has from the very first Then in contrast, on this side, we have areas where we have liberty. We have opinions, if you will. We make judgments. Now again, they're based on Scripture. They're based on general principles that we find in Scripture. And we need to look at those principles and we may need to be diligent in the application of those. But at the end of that, our opinions are affected by our preferences, our traditions, and lots of other factors. And the truth is we can all look at the same set of facts, if you will, of information, and we can come to a different opinion. And it's okay. That's okay. But we got to remember that that's what it is. That it's an opinion. And this wall man put there in the middle of his illustration is just extremely important. Because we get these two things all muddled up. We have people all the time that want to look at the gospel... And put it over here. And say, well no, that means something different to me. That's not rightly dividing the scripture. And then on the other side, we're black and white people. We want things to be absolute. And I resemble that remark, don't I? That, that's just the way I am. And so what I do is I take these general principles I find in Scripture and I apply them and I decide that my opinion's really pretty good and I tend to drift off over here and want to make a law out of it. And that's when we have chaos. I want to put a few Scriptures with this. I, I would recommend that you don't recall the sermon or didn't hear it that you go find it on the podcast and listen to it it was January of 2019 we have this verse in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 where he plainly states what our responsibility with God's will is is that we apply ourselves to it in studying it and understanding it so that we can rightly divide it And clearly, if it can be rightly divided, it can be wrongly divided. And if we don't apply ourselves to knowing and understanding and remembering these principles, we won't rightly divide it. So as we illustrate these two different things, in Galatians 6 and verse 1, we have this verse, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, what is that? That's a sin. That's somebody that has been overtaken violating one of God's legislative rules. Pick it. Lying. 
Lying's never okay. If a person is overcome in lying, what is our responsibility? Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now in contrast to that, we have the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 1 that were upset because the followers of Jesus didn't wash their hands. Heard anything about that lately? Is that a good idea? Absolutely. But it's a tradition. It was their tradition. It wasn't one of God's legislated rules, and it still isn't. But if we get it in the wrong place, we're going to have conflict, aren't we? We got to leave it where it belongs. Okay. Now, Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything. I like that opinion, I, I like that position. While the weak person eats only vegetables. And I know there's a lot of humor in that statement, isn't there? The reason they're weak is because they don't eat any meat, right? That's my opinion. Let's not miss the point here. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one that abstains... Pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Today's Valentine's Day. Did y'all know that? That's not something that is real high on my radar, but I, I know it's Valentine's Day. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. A couple of different opinions there, isn't there? Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die the Lord to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And I know there's a whole bunch of information in there and, and, and in the rest of Romans 8. I, I don't want to neglect any of that, but I, I want to focus in on some things here. The first thing is the opinion doesn't matter whether you're the strong one or the, you're the weak one. You know, and that's a little amazing to me. Because the scripture very clearly validates one of these opinions. Doesn't it? He said it doesn't matter what you eat. That's validation of that opinion, is it not? But then he says, the other opinion's just as good. Don't argue over it. Don't there, let there be friction, conflict over an opinion that really doesn't matter one way or the other. And that's the conclusion. And that's exactly what we'll do, folks, if we put our opinions on the wrong side of that illustration. 
will despise those that have a different opinion. And that's exactly what's going on in our country. Don't judge those with a different opinion. It seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Except we become very passionate about my opinion and I forget all of this and fail to recognize that somebody else's opinion is worth just as much or more than mine. He says the Lord will make them stand. What's he talking about? He's talking about the one that he calls the weak one here. It's okay. It's okay because the Lord will make him stand. And the truth is, that's what we all need. Is the Lord to make us stand. Now he makes this statement. And I've, I've thought about this long and hard and probably thought about it way too much. But I think he's making a distinction here. When you're evaluating things to come to your opinion and your conclusion, you need to be fully convinced. But you don't have to convince me. We need to be, as individuals, fully convinced in what our opinions about things are. But that doesn't mean we have to go around trying to convince everybody else. And that's part of the challenge. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have our conversations, folks. But we got to filter this stuff through Romans 14. And at the end of it, whatever we do, whatever conclusion we come to, we're supposed to honor God with it. And if we can't honor God with where we end up, then we're not in the right place. In 1 Corinthians... The church at Corinth had huge problems with division. And here in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, I, I know it was a big problem because they had lots of problems, but this is the first one he goes to. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same things. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now that sounds like on the service that we should all have the same opinion. Right? Isn't what, what that sounds like? That's not what he's telling us. He's not talking about opinions. He's talking about our objective. And what our goal is. What is our goal? We have a common goal. That's what we have in common. Is our goal. Yeah, I know. I just lost part of my remote. And that's what we lose sight of. And we can have different opinions in pursuit of the same goal. And this has been a really difficult lesson for me to learn. And I, I, I want to tell you, young parents, because it's been hard to get to this place. And I don't even know, I, I don't know that I'm in the right place. But when I was a young parent, I thought there was a right way to do it. And I didn't think I knew it. I just thought there was a right way to do it. And I thought we would, should all be at that same right place. And the truth is, there's different ways to do it right. There's more than one way to rightly parent. There has to be. Because every child is different. 
And every child needs something different. And we need to be able to recognize that and provide what each different child needs. And so that leads me to the conclusion that when we look at what the scripture says about raising children, we're going to come to different conclusions sometimes. But our goal is the same. Our goal is the same. Our goal is to get our kids to heaven. And that's where we have to be of the same mind and of the same judgment and what we can't lose sight of. That that's our goal. And we can help each other or we can fight each other over our opinions. And I don't know that I've ever been much help, but I've definitely done the other thing. Because I thought there was a right way to raise my kids. And there is. But it might be different for you. We know Romans 12 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. And I want to focus on this last phrase here. Be not wise in your own conceit. There's a lot of different ways we're wise in our own conceit. I can be... Arrogant about my intelligence. That's being wise in your own conceit. You can be arrogant about your prosperity. That's being wise in your own conceit. You can be arrogant about your good looks. I couldn't, but you could. Being wise in your own conceit. And you can be arrogant about your opinion. And that's being wise in your own conceit. And I can do that one too. Be not wise in your own conceit. Don't think too much of your opinion. Everyone has them about lots of different things. Food, clothes, hair, carpet, on and on and on we go. And the old saying is, everybody's got one and they're worth what they cost, right? Every opinion is not equal. And by that, I mean that what we decide to have for lunch is not equal to what we decide when it comes to educating our children. And we're going to talk about that some more momentarily. Those opinions are not equal. They don't have the same consequence. But they're still opinions. I love this phrase. I use it all the time. In my humble but correct opinion, and I always use it in jest. Believe me, it's always said in jest. But you know what the truth is? The truth is I actually believe that. And you can't. You can't believe your opinion is correct and be humble about it. I guess you could, but it's just a theory. I'm not going to use that phrase anymore. 
If nothing else comes out of this sermon, I'm not going to use that phrase anymore. Because when I started thinking about that, I realized that there's nothing humble about my attitude, about my opinion. There's a difference in sharing our opinions when asked and sharing our opinions when we're not asked. I, I just think this is important, folks, because when we decide that somebody needs to hear our opinion when it wasn't asked for, I have to wonder, am I really being humble about that? Now again, I'm not trying to stop our exchange and our relationships and the things we talk about. Again, I'm trying to get us to focus on Romans 14 and filtering this stuff through that. And there's problems with this give and take on our opinions. You know, we tend to be drawn to people that share our opinion. I mean, that's who we like to talk to, right? I don't think that's necessarily a negative. But this is. Because at the same time, we're drawn to people that share our opinion. We tend to isolate people that have the different one. And that's not good. And that is the point of Romans 14. You've got different opinions. Stay together. Stay hooked up. Everybody here knows this. I I know you know this. But it's hard to be different. But God has called us to be different. And when we're treated that way in the world, that's to be expected. Not here. And there's some people that they're just too different. You know, we we get it, and we try, and I know we try, but there's some people, they're just too different. Really? It's not what Romans 14 is teaching us, folks. Demeaning or tearing down the other opinion does not strengthen your own. We know that to be true, don't we? And yet our nature is, particularly when we have this conflict, is to go to that place. And when we're drawn to those of like opinion, we can get in a group sometimes and we can start talking about that different opinion. And we feel built up because ours, ours is better. We've got a group that agrees with us and we crave that. We crave validation. We just do. But tearing the other opinion down does not strengthen yours. We've got to remember that. So I want to talk about opinions about cleanliness. There's a couple of reasons why I chose this. There's 
dozens if not hundreds of opinions I could have chose today. But I want to talk about this one. Because I think it challenges us. Because everybody, with the exception of these little bitty kids, has a standard of cleanliness. Everybody. So what you have to do at home, if you're married and have a family, is you have to mesh those opinions at home and try to have some compromise, if you will, and have some kind of standard which you can enforce and live with and teach your kids on that basis and hold them to some standard and have some peace. Right? And I know, I, I know sometimes opposites attract. And we get a slob married to a neat freak. And what do we have? So there's that. And then you take all of those and you stuff them in this building. Potential for conflict. Now remember what I said. I'm not trying to change anybody's opinion. I, that's not my goal here. Because I, I don't think it matters what your standard is. I don't. And I have one too. But that doesn't matter. What we've got to do at home... And here is mesh those standards in a way that's reasonable and functional and peaceful. And I'm not suggesting, implying in any way that we have this huge problem. That's not my point. My point is, is that if we let him, the devil will divide us over this very issue. Proverbs 14 and verse 4, we have this principle. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean. So there's that. If we don't have anybody at home or at church, we won't have a problem with cleanliness. The opposite is true. The more we have, the bigger the challenge is going to be. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. Don't forget the benefits that we get by having the ox. Right? So the more people we have, the bigger the challenge, but the bigger the blessing. I want to go to Titus 2 now. Titus 2, beginning in verse 3. The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet. Chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Okay. So what do we learn from this verse? Young women need to be taught to keep their home. That, that's what he said, right? So what we learn from that is, is that young women need to be teachable. Does he tell us what a young woman is? Not that I can see. He did that on purpose, intentionally, I would assume. 
The second thing we learn about that is that those given the responsibility to teach the young women are the older woman. So if you're here and there's an older woman, then you, you're a younger woman. Be teachable. If you're here and you're older, 13-year-old girls, be willing to teach. The problem is with the phrase he uses, keep the home, we insert cleanliness in there. And I think that has to be part of it, doesn't it? I mean, it, it just has to be. But is that all he's talking about? And my point on that is to teach the young women to keep their home clean. But don't make that the only focus, because that's not all there is to it. Those things have to be balanced with all of this other stuff that he listed there. That was one thing that he, I believe there was eight things that he told the older women to teach the younger. And that was one out of eight. So it's important. And somebody has to come to some reasonable standard when it's time to do the teaching. He leaves that up to the older women. Does the verse teach us that cleanliness is really, is it really next to godliness? And if that verse doesn't teach it, is there another verse that teaches it? Now, I didn't spend days, but I spent a fair amount of time looking, and I did not find that verse. And here's the problem, folks. If we're not careful, cleanliness becomes our godliness. And it will. If we let it. So we have to remember, when it comes to whatever standard we've come to, preference and tradition or opinion, they're not God's law. And I can tell you, and when it comes to this issue, I think I've seen the whole spectrum, pretty much. I was in a house in Louisiana one time, and Folks, don't talk about India. This, India don't hold a candle to them folks in Louisiana. It was bad. There was rats in the place. And they, they weren't wild rats. They were right at home. And the pizza boxes were stacked up everywhere. That's the one thing I remember. But I've also been in places that were the other extreme. It doesn't matter. I didn't like the rat thing, and you can make the argument about disease and all of that. My point is we got to be unified. And we got to remember that fellowship and unity are more important than upholding my standard of cleanliness. That can become a distraction. And we remember what Jesus said in Matthew or sorry, Luke 10. And I know this is not about keeping the house clean, but what he tells Martha is or Yes, he told Martha, because she was worried about having a meal prepared, we would defend her in the sense she was trying to be hospitable, right? That's important, right? 
Absolutely. And I suspect they had a meal that day. And her problem wasn't that she wanted to be hospitable. The problem was it was more important than it should have been and she missed an opportunity. And we can do the same thing with that, with cleanliness, with a whole host of things that will become a distraction if we forget to keep things in their proper place. But one thing is needful, Jesus said, and Mary hath chosen that good part. Don't be distracted by those things. We need to be fellowshipping and we need to be unified. In Acts 2 verse 46, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church today as such as should be saved. Reckon how many folks they had getting together to eat. There was 3,000 baptized what kind of mess did they have? I don't know, do we? It didn't say. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And that's what we need to be able to do. And at the end of it, don't despise or judge those with a different opinion about cleanliness. I've got several more scriptures, but I won't, I won't spend long here. But I want to talk about this because there's different opinions. <laughs> and I want to say, it's okay. Isn't it? There's different opportunities and different challenges with all of these choices when it comes to educating our children. Can we be unified? Can we make different choices and do different things in this area and be unified? I say yes. And I want all of the families with kids to recognize there's value in education. There's biblical value in education. You know what it is? Whereby when you read, you may understand. And that's really all I can do off the top of my head. But we need to have some level of education so that we can function. And I believe personally that God has given parents the responsibility to evaluate choices and to consider the principles we have in Scripture and come to the conclusion that is best for their family. And that's what I want to promote. And that's what I want to encourage. And whatever decision and opinion you come to on that, I want to help you do it. And I, I want to help you do it to the best of your ability. For the good of our kids, and the good of our church, and the good of our country. But the devil will divide us if we let him. And there's legitimate ways to promote any one of these. And there's legitimate ways to tear any one of these down if that's what we want to do. So I want to look at some biblical principles that we need to think about when we're making that choice. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Are you doing that, fathers? Are you considering that, fathers, when you decide where you want your kids to go to school? There's not an absolute answer there. It's not black and white. 
You've got to take the information and you've got to diligently figure out what's best for your family. If you neglect to consider this stuff, or you neglect to do what the Scripture says, it don't matter how you educate your children. That's irrelevant. We have this in 1 Corinthians 5 and 10, and I know he's, he's not talking about raising children or any, anything remotely close. What he's talking about here is church discipline, but he makes a statement that we need to think about when we're considering how we interact in the world. And what he tells them here is you can't go out of the world. That's what he tells them. And so the bottom line of that, folks, is regardless of how you choose to educate your children, you've got to teach them how to live in the world, in this evil world. Matthew 5 and verse 16, Jesus said, let your light shine. We, we try to completely withdraw out of the world. How is the world going to ever see Jesus? We've got to let our light shine. Does that mean you have to send your kids to public school? I don't think that's what that means at all. I think if you send your kids to public school, you need to teach them to let their light shine. And I think if you're going to send your kids to a private school, you better teach them to let their light shine. And if you decide to teach them at home, you better teach them to let their light shine. And it can be done in any of those three places. Absolutely can. And more. We need to be letting our light shine. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. He's not talking about going and living in a commune somewhere. He's very specific here about what he says and the way that we come out and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. Don't matter how you educate your kids, if you don't teach them to stay away from sin, you failed them. We've got to teach our kids, that's what he's talking about, touch not the unclean thing. Sin is deceitful. Sin draws us in, it's drawing our kids in. They've got to be taught to live in this world and not touch the unclean thing. Philippians 2.15, that you may blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke. Where? Where? In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. <laughs> that's where we're at. And that's what our kids have to be taught. Colossians 2 and verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. There's lots of bad information out there at school and everywhere else. We've got to make sure our kids are not spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit. Regardless of your education choices. Psalms 1 and 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So you walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You're walking. And then you stop and stand in the way of sinners. And you're completely comfortable with all that now, so you sit down. We've got to teach our kids to not be comfortable with evil, but how to live in an evil world. Now, as I said, 
fathers, mothers, parents. You need to consider all of that and dozens more. And then decide. Decide which battles do we want to fight. Because they're different. They're different battles. But consider all of that. Decide which battle you want to fight. And then let's support each other. Encourage each other. Help each other. Romans 8, 5. For they that after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are of the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And that right there, folks, is a huge challenge for all of us. But we got to fight that battle. And we got to help our kids fight that battle. So do it. Do it. But let's not be divided over our differing opinions. Last verse, I want to go back to Romans 14 because there's a statement here that, that I think summarizes what I've hoped to communicate today. Verse 18, For he serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not, listen folks, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And here, here's what I want to emphasize here. Our opinions are discouraging sometimes to other people. We don't intend it that way. But sometimes they are. And we need to think about his statement. And think about how what I just said is going to affect somebody else. And don't destroy the work of God for the sake of your opinion about food or any other opinion. All things indeed are pure, but is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Those are the thoughts of the morning. I want to conclude with our traditional invitation. It's the Lord's invitation. If you need the help of the church in some way this morning, we would invite you to come and have a seat here on the front while we stand and sing the invitation.